Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Hello, Renegades. Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I am super excited to introduce our guest speaker today, my good friend, Dina. Um, Dina and I were, were classmates together at the University of Bridgeport in the Human Nutrition Program, and Dina was among the best and brightest yes. of that program. Yeah, we have a rock star, back. a rock star in our midst, and we yes. were, oh gosh, I'm just thinking back through like all of our our or our chemistry <laughs> like study sessions and all um, of our like flashcards and gosh it brings all my poster drawings poster drawings <laughs> yes I survived on a lot of like Dina's helpful charts through that program yes. <laughs> color-coded <laughs> one of like fruits and veggies on them anywhere or no just <laughs> chemistry. Okay. So okay it was way more boring than that oh, okay. <laughs> chemistry yeah. Talk nerdy. But. Yep. Talking nerdy. But anyway, it brings back a lot of memories. So thank you so much for joining us, Dina. And so Dina is going to talk with us today about fasting and intermittent fasting. Um, and she has her own program, right? Is it the fasting fix? Is that what yes. your program is called? So she has a program called the fasting fix. So we're going to ask her all questions, intermittent fasting today. I'm excited. I have good questions. I, I want to pick your brain. Um, to start out, Dita, how did you, oh, um, I should say, how did you get into the nutrition? Like what kind of got you excited? And then what got you into the intermittent fasting side? And then what is it that you do now as your job in this? Um, yeah, kind of tell us about you. Okay, um, I'd love to. So I got interested, first interested in nutrition, I guess, because as a teenager, I ended up having horrible, terrible, no good, very bad gut issues um, that started about 15 or 16 years old and food seemed to be the problem. No matter what I ate, as soon as I ate in the morning, my stomach would bloat up. I would get really uncomfortable, painful. I'd have to, um, I always took a hoodie to school so I could like unbutton my pants after lunch because my (laughs) belly would get so bloated. And, um, I went to a lot of different doctors and got zero answers. Uh, they didn't really do any testing on me or anything. They maybe ran a blood test and said, ah, you look normal. Like nothing's wrong. You're just making it up or you're stressed out or, you know, they just kind of brushed it off, but I was in a lot of pain and I was really uncomfortable. And so I started to play around with my diet just because I knew that food was causing me pain. I just didn't know what foods. And so I did a lot of self-experimentation, um, basically out of desperation because I just wasn't getting the help that I needed. And I didn't get very far. Um, I tried a gluten-free diet. I tried cutting out dairy. I tried really hard to cut out sugar. But as a teenager, I found that to be pretty impossible. (laughs) Um, And sugar was probably the only thing that I noticed made me feel worse, for sure. And then everything else, it just didn't seem to matter. So that kind of led me down a path of going into health and, and nutrition. Um, and then I had my beautiful little girl, Olivia, um, in my early twenties. And after that pregnancy, I got really, really sick and all of my health problems just kind of accelerated. They got a lot worse and I was starting to deal with chronic fatigue and my hair was falling out and I had all these weird rashes and couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Um, and it was pretty sudden. And, and that drove me to um, eventually go back to school and learn more about functional medicine and really getting at the root cause of your symptoms. So I was able to um, find some really good functional medicine practitioners that helped me recover my health. And at that point is when I kind of went back, got my master's degree and met Eleni. That's amazing. That's amazing. Just for my own curiosity, what are some things that kind of helped you to heal? Like what were kind of some things that were going on? 
Yeah, well, I did end up having a lot of gut issues. And with the right testing, we found out that I had several gut infections. So I had um, some bacterial infection. I had a fungal infection. I even had a parasite. Um, and there was a lot going on in there. And those chronic infections that at that point had gone on for more than a decade um, had really wreaked a lot of havoc on my immune system and um, had led to some autoimmune situations, um, some hypothyroidism and issues like that. Um, so changing my diet and focusing on getting in good nutrients was a really big part of my healing process, but so was just addressing and eliminating the infections and helping my immune system recover from, you know, over a decade of kind of a ongoing war. Yeah. 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 Wow. That is fascinating. Um, what an interesting journey. Like <laughs> I didn't know this about you. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very fun, but I learned a lot and it has made me incredibly empathetic <laughs> to all of my clients or, you know, people that I meet who are, are going through a lot. And it also, um, just, I, I just don't give up, right? Like if we're going to figure this out, we can do it. There's a reason there's always a puzzle to solve. And, um, and I try really hard to kind of bring that attitude to my work with my clients too. Yeah. It must be nice too. I think for patients who have been through similar stories, like what you have, where they've been kind of dismissed by the conventional medicine system. I, it's really validating. I know to speak to a healthcare practitioner who has either been through what you've been through or knows exactly what you're talking about. And they're usually the first person who doesn't make you feel crazy yes. or like it's all in your head. So I'm sure that's extremely validating for a lot of your clients that you work with too, is that you've been through a really difficult health situation and you've been dismissed and you know what that feels like to have people basically tell you, mm, it's nothing. You look fine. Your blood, your blood work looks fine. So you must be fine. And the rest yes. of this must be in your head. So you can give people kind of that opportunity to to see what it feels like to be heard and understood and believed maybe for the first time in their health journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you after having a baby, they chalk everything up to motherhood. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're tired because you know, you've got a baby and I'm like, I get that, but also like, I can't walk up a flight of stairs without needing a break. Like it's not, and I'm 24 years old, you know, it's like, it, it was so much more and, you know, your hair falling out and, and things like that and being really dismissed based off of the, oh, you know, it just comes with the territory of being a mom, you know, it's so. not the answer. Yeah, not the answer. it's not the answer there. There's a reason. Yeah. So well, what is your title now that you do? And then what state are you working in? And do you take clients in person or over computer or how do you do that now? Yeah, my vir uh, my practice is entirely virtual. So I see clients from all over and then I run an online group program and I even have people um, in other countries in that program, which is a lot of fun. Um, so my official title, I guess, would be a licensed dietitian nutritionist. And then I have my certified nutrition specialist, um, which is the same thing uh, that Eleni has. So um, and I'm licensed in the state of Maryland, but I can see clients from uh, most states. That's amazing. Okay. And now getting into for this podcast, the intermittent fasting and the fasting, what kind of brought you into that um, field? Yeah. What got you interested in that? Yeah. So during um, school, we had to do, well, in order to get your CNS um, certificate, you have to do a thousand hours of um, supervised training, right? So I worked for a functional medicine doctor in that situation, and she worked primarily with people with Alzheimer's. And um, it was really interesting experience for me. I worked there for a couple of years for her um, under her guidance and learned a lot about fasting. And they actually use fasting in um, therapeutic ways with Alzheimer's, memory loss, dementia, and things like that. And so that's really what got me super interested in fasting and kind of the therapeutic health benefits 
and how it can really regenerate and restore a person's health in many ways. So explain for our listeners, what's the difference between an extended fast or a regular fast and intermittent fasting? What are some of the key differences? Yeah. So intermittent fasting is kind of this term that's thrown out um, and it can mean a lot of different things. And I think that's sort of where it gets confusing for a lot of people. So intermittent fasting is actually a really broad term and it encompasses several different types of fasting. So for example, um, alternate day fasting is a type of intermittent fasting. So, uh, you know, fasting is when you're intentionally or purposefully avoiding food and drink. Intermittent fasting means you're doing that intermittently, right? Um, On occasion with some kind of uh, regularity. So an alternate day fast is where somebody's eating a very low calorie diet or completely fasting one day, and then the next day they're eating normally. Um, five two fasting is another type of intermittent fasting where five days of the week you are eating normally, and then two days of the week you are fasting, and they're usually non-consecutive days. Um, The term that most people are familiar with is actually time-restricted eating, and this is a form of intermittent fasting that when people say intermittent fasting, that's usually what they're referring to, and that's really just when you are eating all of your meals and all of your food for the day within a set period of time, and then you're fasting the rest of the day, so only water outside of that. That's usually what people mean when they say intermittent fasting. And a lot of times when you're reading a, a news headline or a, you know, an Instagram post and somebody uses that word, it's usually what they're referring to is time-restricted eating. So um, on that time-restricted, I and I've always called it intermittent fasting. So that's nice to have that yeah. clarification for sure. Um, when you you've, I, cause I'm your follower of course on Instagram and you've had posts where you say, you know, that time restricted fasting or in, intermittent fasting is more than just skipping breakfast. Um, tell us some more about that. What are some of the intentionalities that go into an intermittent or time restricted fast versus somebody who's just skipping breakfast and kind of just eating when they get hungry later in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Um, that skipping breakfast, I think is actually one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they try intermittent fasting. And the reason for that is that intermittent fasting or that time restricted eating the, the point of it and a lot of the health benefits that come from it come from aligning when we're eating with our natural biological rhythms. So we have clocks inside of our body that keep track of time and they keep us on a rhythm. And this is actually super important because your hormones and your metabolism, your heart rate, when you sleep, when you're awake, your energy levels, even your muscle strength changes throughout the day based on the time of day. And how does your body keep track of time? Well, the most important and biggest influences are light and food. Temperature is another one, but light and food are kind of the biggest drivers, right? So when we get light in our eyes, when we wake up in the morning, that's one of the signals that tells our brain and our body, it's get up and go time, right? It's time to be up. Your metabolism goes up, your metabolic rate, right? Your digestion turns on, your body gets ready for the day. You secrete certain hormones based on the time of day that it is um, by the, you know, time of the week that it is, by the time of the month that it is, right? We fall on these uh, rhythms and they're really important for our health. So a lot of the benefits that come from time-restricted eating actually come from aligning these clocks inside of our body. So imagine like if you worked in an office and every boss in the office that ran different departments had a a clock that set a different time than somebody else, right? So for the boss that runs the sales department, it's noon. And for somebody that, 
I don't know, what's another department? Accounting. <laughs> yeah, accounting. Yeah. Accounting uh, thinks it's 1045, right? And then they try to have a meeting or they say there's this is due at 3 p.m. or something like that. It would be absolute chaos, right? And that can happen inside of our bodies when the clock inside our brains doesn't align with the clock that's in our gut, right? When the signals that we're getting from the outside world and our internal environment are all mixed up and they're not on the same clock. When we align our eating with what our natural biological rhythms say, um, there's so much more harmony and things sync together really well. And that's actually where most of the benefits of intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating are derived from is actually just uh, aligning your circadian rhythm or those internal body clocks. So that's something that I think a lot of people miss. And, and so what they end up doing is skipping breakfast in the morning. And the reason that they do that is because it tends to be the easiest time to kind of squeeze your eating window down. And that's because in the morning we have high levels of cortisol. So our energy is high. We feel really good. And it's actually easier to skip a meal. It doesn't feel as hard because we already have like these, um, basically stress hormones that are at a higher level naturally in the morning that just make it feel easier. But our metabolism and our digestion are built to break down food best in the morning hours. So it's actually the best time to eat. And I encourage anybody that's doing intermittent fasting, um, to continue eating breakfast and to do that within an hour or two of waking up. Because when you don't, you end up kind of switching this biological rhythm. You end up hungrier at the end of the day when you're the most tired and metabolically inactive, right? So where's all that food going to go? Um, and your digestion is slowed down your metabolism has slowed down, everything's kind of slowed down at the end of the day, and that's when you're the hungriest. So there's a mismatch, and I don't think that it really gets people the health benefits that they're looking for. So this is so intriguing oh, yeah. to me because this is really not a topic we cover really extensively in the nutrition program at all. And so it's something I haven't known as much about. And I feel <laughs> like my whole paradigm is being shifted right now. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I practice time restricted eating and I was just telling Kay when we were discussing on another podcast, um, since I was like a child, I've never been hungry for breakfast. And so when I started practicing that time restricted eating, the natural thing for me to do was in like a 16, eight hour fast was to restrict my window from 12 to eight. And that's mm -hmm. typically when I eat. Cause that's when I start to get hungry first like the first time I start to get hungry is around 12. And it sounds like that's actually not optimal. And maybe if I was eating earlier, I would shift when I get hungry. Cause I am really, I'm really the most hungry at the end of the day. Like I'm even at 12, I'm just not that hungry, but I usually like eat lunch and then I get hungry for dinner. So mm -hmm. if I were to switch those hours, eventually maybe that hunger would shift to now I would be hungry in the morning. Is that true? Like, yes, that. it should shift and it's ideal. Um, it's a better shift for your body because you're matching, you know, your food intake when your metabolism is the highest, when your digestion is working at its best is when the sun is up the bright daylight hours. So that can actually shift as the seasons change, right? We can kind of shift when we eat or when we wake up, um, but it's best that, you know, after you've been awake for an hour or two, to start feeding and fueling your body. And then in the evening to cut off the, the eating because your metabolism has slowed, your digestion has slowed down. And a lot of times I think when people make the mistake of shifting that to later in the day, they don't end up hungry in the morning. And I think part of the reason is that you might still be digesting that meal, right? Because if your digestion went to sleep and everything just kind of got put on pause, 
then in the morning, it's still kind of working it out. It's still making its way through. So it's just, it's going to take a lot longer for you to break down that same meal um, if you eat it in the evening versus in the morning. The other big difference, and I think, um, you know, this makes a big difference for people who are interested in intermittent fasting for weight loss or blood sugar or you know, even some of the other health benefits is that we have very different blood sugar and insulin responses to a meal based on the time of day that we eat it. So there's really good research on this that if you ate eggs and toast for breakfast and you ate that exact same eggs and toast for dinner, you would actually have a different response in your blood sugar to the exact same meal. In the morning, your blood sugar is lower, your insulin is lower, and in the evening, you eat that exact same meal and your blood sugar will be higher and your insulin will be higher. So we actually have a, a much better response to food metabolically in the morning and during the bright daylight hours. And then as the evening, we kind of get more and more glucose intolerant. Wow, and I have heard that. I've heard that before, and that's really it's great to have that explanation of yeah. it. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. This what's is intriguing. Your time you think it would be a good cutoff at the end of the day to stop eating then. Yeah. Like what's the best time for that last meal of the day? Yeah. So I think the best, um, is to give yourself at least two to three hours before going to bed. So you want that meal to, it's about two to three hours to digest a meal or to break it down and get it kind of moved along. Um, and so that allows you to get a lot better sleep because your gut needs to rest while you are sleeping and being in a fasted state while you're sleeping actually enhances your sleep. You get deeper sleep, you get better sleep, more restorative sleep. So if you're eating up until you go to bed or having a lot of late night snacking, um, that can actually not only does that impair your metabolism, but it can actually impair your sleep and the quality and depth of your sleep. So you want to go to bed um, with an empty stomach, not like, oh, I'm famished, but you know, you've had a couple of hours at least to digest your meal. So that would be the kind of minimum window cutoff. So if you go to bed at 10 o'clock, then seven o'clock is the last bite of food. Yep. Not when you're starting your meal, but when you'd be ending it. And that's, I can even just from a personal perspective, I can speak to that because I know there's a lot of research that supports that, um, you know, that eating later in the night can disrupt your sleep. Um, but even I have like an aura ring where I, I track my sleep and I've seen that if I eat too late at night, my heart rate stays elevated through the mm. night and my resting heart rate doesn't get as low as it normally does. So wow. my resting heart rate is typically around 55 beats per minute. If I eat a meal too late at night, it hovers around 60 to 65 beats per minute. Wow. And my heart rate variability, which is the HRV that your ring measures, um, yeah. is a metric of your body's basically like healing and response to stress and response to heart rate and exercise and all these things. So your HRV can tell you a lot about how you're recovering over yeah. the night time from the day's activities. And my HRV, the higher it is, the better it is, the lower it is, the worse it is. My HRV will go way down if I eat too close to bedtime, wow. um, where it's just like my body isn't recovering as well. And I frequently, because the ring will track your deep sleep and your REM sleep, my deep sleep will like is normally around two hours. And if I eat too late, it will go down to like 45 minutes or an hour. Mm -hmm. So it really can, I've seen it. I've tracked this data for over a year and a half and I really have seen how eating late can disrupt that. That's awesome. The science that we can see it now with technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I'm like, and I had a question about yeah, jump in during the day. So if you, we wake up, eat within an hour of being awake and or two then, or yeah. two, and then, you know, two to three after or before bedtime during the middle of the day, do you like to have like breakfast, wait, lunch, or how do you feel about snacks? Where are you there? Yeah, I mean, I think I would cater that to the person that I was talking to. But in general, I think meals 
like set meals and having uh, several hours, you know, at least two to three hours between a meal when you're not eating anything is probably ideal. It's better for the gut, especially because the gut needs time to kind of clean out and empty out before the next meal comes, or else we can kind of drive um, bacterial overgrowths or just kind of feed the wrong kinds of bacteria if food's just always sitting in there. So, and I think that most people's metabolisms do a lot better with set meals, avoiding snacks, set meal, you know, and it, it forces you to build a better meal basically, because a good meal should keep you full and satisfied for at least three to four hours. Um, if not, then it wasn't a good meal, right? It probably didn't have enough protein or it didn't have enough fiber. There was something about that meal that made it unsustaining and made you need a snack. So I think usually that's the issue is that people are, you know, just maybe snacking all day long and they're not really eating, um, well-balanced meals. So they're needing to snack, but really when we're eating well, we shouldn't need to snack. Smart. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. I did, I had a follow-up question. Oh, I was going to ask you because you talked kind of in the beginning about the different types of fasting. So, you know, the two, five fast where there's a couple days maybe that you're fasting and then days that you're not, or the every other where you're fasting for one day, not fasting for the next versus the time restricted eating. What are the circumstances in which you would recommend something like a two, five fast versus Mm -hmm. a time restricted type of fast? Um, probably not many. <laughs> I actually don't usually recommend alternate day fasting or five two um, for most people. I don't find it to be very sustainable. Whereas the time restricted eating has a lot of benefits to it that go beyond the others. And that's because of the circadian rhythm piece, right? How it affects our body clocks. Because of that, it can affect your hormones, your metabolism, um, your digestion, right? It can affect a lot of things in a very positive way, your sleep. Um, So for that reason, I think time-restricted eating is not only the easiest approach to fasting, it's probably the simplest. And I feel like it's the most sustainable and doable for most people. And the way that it's taught, I think has a lot of issues, but I think when people do it right, it can be really, really sustainable, easy um, to incorporate and can help improve their health in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Did you want to ask that question? Oh, yes. Yes. I just saw on, on, on the gram last night, Dr. Stephen Cabral, what did he say? He said that women are susceptible to seeing negative effects on cortisol, progesterone, and thyroid levels after keto or intermittent fasting. What are your thoughts on some of that? But maybe that's addressed when, if you wake, if you eat right away at eight or nine, or after you wake up an hour or two, anyway, speak to that. Yes. So I have two main thoughts on that. One is that most of the time when people recommend intermittent fasting, they recommend what's called a 16-8, which is 16 hours of fasting, and then you're eating all of your meals within an eight-hour eating window. Um, That number isn't a fast, hard, fast rule. Um, There's actually a lot of flexibility. So the goal with intermittent fasting is to just spend more time in a fasted state than in a fed state during the day and night, right? In a 24 hour period. So that can mean, you know, a 13 hour uh, fast and what's the the rest of the time? (laughs) I gotta do math now. Yeah, 11. 11, 11 hours of eating, right? Not eight. So you can go anywhere from, uh, you know, a 16, eight would 
kind of be at the end of that spectrum where you're squeezing all of your meals down to an eight hour window. But I think anything less than 12 will get you a lot of health benefits. And we actually have research supporting this, that just a 14 hour fast instead of a 16 hour fast, um, for instance, in women who have had breast cancer, it cut their breast cancer recurrence rate. So their chance of getting it again by half. Wow. 14 hour fast, right? So it doesn't always have to be a 16, eight. It doesn't have to be that extreme to be effective or for it to work. We see weight loss um, with 13 and 14 hour uh, fasting windows. It doesn't have to be 16 hours, you know, breast cancer recurrence rates cut in half, like pretty significant health benefits, noticeable health benefits with just a 13, 14 hour fast. So it doesn't have to be that extreme for one. The second thing is that women, um, our hormonal cycles, especially menstruating women uh, or of menstruating age have, you know, natural rhythms throughout the month that affect how well we deal with fasting. So what I usually recommend to my clients is that in the luteal phase, which is the week before your period starts, that's when you're the most intolerant of any kind of fasting. So I don't recommend that people do any restrictive fasting. That doesn't mean that you need to eat every minute of the day, right? We all intermittent fast naturally on some level. And the research shows that in the United States, we eat an average of 15 hours a day, which is a lot more than half, right? So just reducing that to 12 and 12, right? Maybe half and half, and then inching our way down a little bit further, I think is the best way to go. If most of us are spending 15 hours a day eating, and then all of a sudden we switch that completely on its head, and now we're only eating eight hours of the day, I think that has some repercussions um, hormonally and energetically, can mess with your sleep. Um, and I think a lot of people end up with blood sugar swings as a result of that. So what I tell people is wherever you're starting, first, just figure out kind of where you're at, where your natural eating and fasting window lies, and then cut it by an hour or two. And that's it. Just squeeze it down a little and then focus on cutting it down in the evening first um, to a reasonable time and then work on you know, in the morning, if you need to squeeze it down any further, but I always have people start with just an hour to change because any more than that is definitely going to mess with your, your hormones and your blood sugar and things like that. And then of course, doing that with the evening hours first. Okay. So there's something to like, listen to your body's rhythm and life's rhythm and kind of flow with that. And yeah. And then kind of let, let looser on the reins in that luteal phase that week before your period starts, you're going to be a lot less tolerant of any kind of fasting. So if you are doing a 16, eight, you would probably want to relax that during that week and your hormones will definitely thank you. I think that's so, so key too, because I've kind of promoted it before on this podcast that all women should know their cycle and should track their cycle, whether they're trying to get pregnant or not. I think kind of specifically for that reason, so that, you know, when you have ovulated and you know, when you are in your luteal phase versus your follicular phase, just to have a sense of your hormone health, because the length of those phases and the intensity of those phases, and even having premenstrual syndrome and things like that can be so indicative of hormone health. So anyway, I'm just, that's a quick plug. If you're a woman and you're listening to this again, (laughs) here's another reason. Now you're looking at it in terms of how to optimize your fasting schedule is you have to know when you're in that part of your cycle. Um, And I think that's an important thing for all women to track at every point in their life. Anyway, that's just my yep. quick plug on Your that. Self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot, even if you're not tracking it, maybe with a tracker, but I think a lot of women know the week before their period, because they may be a little more symptomatic. Their breasts might be a little more tender. They might be more hungrier. That's when we deal with a lot of cravings. Right. So it kind of, um, sometimes, you know, even if you don't, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and so tell us a little bit, what are some of the benefits that you've seen and what are some success stories you've seen 
um, with the clients that you've walked through with that time restricted eating or intermittent fasting? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the biggest benefits tends to come with improvements in sleep and then people just feel better. They have more energy and fewer when you do intermittent fasting the right way where you're eating earlier on in the day and you're aligning your food intake with your natural biological rhythm you end up with um, better balance in your blood sugar, which really helps a ton with cravings and with food intake in general. So one of the, I think one of the best benefits with having kind of an eating curfew in the evening is that, you know, if I don't eat after seven, I'm a lot less likely to be eating chips and cookies and ice cream and things like that. Right. Because those things don't really sound good to me at 10 in the morning (laughs) or even, you know, it's much easier to eat healthier and make healthier options or choices during the day than it is in the evening. And I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way. I think a lot of people feel that way. So by shifting your eating to earlier in the day, you're just naturally going to end up with a healthier diet and you might naturally avoid um, more temptations or junk food just by shifting your eating window. Um, And then there's the actual, you know, scientific benefits in your blood sugar, your insulin response. And having lower insulin levels helps lower inflammation. It helps with weight loss. Um, So those are some of the benefits. I see people lose somewhere between about five and 15 pounds is where a lot of my clients will land from just incorporating a good time-restricted eating window, shifting it to earlier in the day. And with that comes a, a much better breakfast. And I emphasize that a lot with my clients is getting enough protein at breakfast, having a real breakfast. It's a real meal and it's one of your best meals. And I think if you can nail breakfast, the rest of your day goes so much better. So that's kind of, um, I think those two go hand in hand, but that's something that I, that I teach my clients. So there is some weight loss. Some people don't lose any weight and that's okay because there are a lot of other benefits to intermittent fasting that have nothing to do with body weight. And the point of intermittent fasting isn't necessarily to restrict calories or eat less, although sometimes that happens and that's why people lose weight. But the point is to um, work with your circadian rhythm. That's really where the health benefits come from, narrowing that eating window. We end up with lower levels of inflammation as a result of that, better blood sugar, better sleep and recovery because we're having better sleep, better energy. Um, Those are some of the benefits that I think people experience the most often. Is there, what are some foods in between that would kick you out of that fasting? Like, could I have like, um, like tea or coffee or bulletproof coffee or like, like a smoothie, probably too much or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So typically I tell people to stick with water if outside of their, um, eating window, Um, A cup of coffee or tea, black coffee is not going to kick you out of a fast. But um, if you added butter or cream or something like that to the coffee, then it's definitely going to register as food. And you've basically started your clock for that day, I guess you would say. So a smoothie or something like that. The research on this is a little bit muddy. It's not super clear how much food it takes to kind of trigger your body into saying, oh, there's food she's eating, but we think it's around 50 calories. So not much. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Interesting. And it could be less for some people and maybe more for others, but that's kind of the amount that, you know, so a tablespoon of butter in your coffee would definitely do that. And then also like having your coffee like late at night, it has caffeine in it. So then you're affecting your rhythm there. So, you know, there is a lot to Yeah, we definitely yeah. don't recommend caffeine and yep. after yep. 10 a.m. Right, right. <laughs> oh, <no>. yep. <laughs> um, what are some of the best foods to break your fast with? Like, what are the top breakfast items that you recommend for really good, strong start cereal. to that eating <laughs> window? <laughs> Don't worry. You won't hear me say that. Um, 
So the most important thing is probably to get enough protein and to break your fast with a good amount of high quality protein. For most women, that's probably around 30 grams, which takes some effort. That is not an easy amount to hit, but that's a, the amount that you probably need. So probably somewhere between 25 and 35 grams for most people. Um, and so I say, you know, 30 is a good thing to aim for. So something like an egg has six grams of protein, right? So you would have to eat that with something else, uh, vegetables, or maybe some whole grain or sourdough bread would get you some protein. If you're going to make a smoothie, making sure that there's adequate protein in that smoothie, um, protein, the word protein means primary or first, because it is the most important thing. And it's the thing that your body wants the most protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So when we get enough protein at the meal, we naturally eat less food at that meal because protein is really what your body's looking for. So once it gets enough, it, it gets way less hungry as a result of that. Um, and I always recommend that people combine protein, fat, and fiber, healthy sources of fat and fiber, meaning fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, something like that at their meal, because that's kind of the magic trio of blood sugar stability and satiety. You will feel full and satiated much sooner. So naturally eating less on a meal like that, and it will take you so much further. You should go three, four, even five hours before you're hungry again with a meal like that. And sounds good. I yeah, want to eat right now. I know. <laughs> what are some foods you would recommend avoiding in that first? I mean, any, any time during that feeding window, are there foods that will, you know, kind of negate the power of a fast or make it ineffective or harm your body? Like what's not a good food to start your day with? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, well, I think that I'm not a fan of, of just plain old coffee on an empty stomach. I think if you're going to drink coffee, it's best with a meal because it has very stimulating effects on the nervous system. So, um, and it can affect blood sugar without you eating any sugar, it can raise blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. So one of the main benefits that we get from doing the time-restricted eating or any kind of fast is improvements in blood sugar stability. So a meal that kind of ruins that or foods that wreck that are going to be the worst ones. They're kind of going to backfire or negate some of the benefits that you might get. So those would be your standard American breakfast, pancakes with syrup, cold cereal and milk, um, juice, toast with jam, uh, you know, uh, pop tarts. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to use brand names, but you know, just like refined <laughs> sugar, things that are made with refined sugar and refined flours are going to send you on a blood sugar roller coaster ride. And after a fast, you're blood sugar level, you're actually more glucose sensitive, right? Because your cells have gone a long time without any sugar in their system. And so they're actually more primed and ready for it and um, much more sensitive to blood sugar fluctuations. So I definitely recommend that um, not only that your breakfast or the meal that you're breaking your fast with is high, you know, has enough protein, but that it's also void of, uh, refined carbohydrates. Excellent. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, this is all such good news. I know it is. What? Um, okay. I'm just curious. Just on the And you'll feel so much better when you eat that way. I mean, your energy, yeah. sugar cravings, everything gets so much better and it just gets easier to eat healthy. You naturally do it because you're not, it's not about willpower and discipline. You are just naturally not craving those things. On a personal question, I'm like, what did you have for breakfast? I'm like curious, like when you wake up and you're like eggs and bacon, or are you like egg casserole, you heat it up or what's your kind of morning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this morning, um, my husband half cooked breakfast, so he loves to chop up onions and saute them and then scramble some eggs. Mm -hmm. And I added a handful of greens to mine. Yep. And then I had some, um, 
homemade panna cotta that I had made. Oh. So I made it a couple of days ago, but I just make like a low sugar version and it was some coconut milk and gelatin and maybe a little bit of maple syrup in there. And I put some berries and chia seeds on that. And that was my breakfast. So Amazing. I think between the chia seeds and the gelatin and the eggs, there was probably, and the greens, there's probably about 30 grams of protein. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. That sounds delicious. It was. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard or take a long time either. You know, it was a five minute breakfast. Delicious. Yeah. Like good food could be delicious Mm -hmm. Oreo food. Um, here's a question I have for you is, would you recommend that time restricted eating? Do you recommend it for anyone, everyone? Are there certain populations that it's not appropriate for, um, or, or even like certain health conditions where it might not be appropriate? Um, does it depend on age or physical fitness kind of tell us like, who's the most appropriate population for this time restricted eating and who might it not be ideal for? Yeah. Um, I think for most people, if you've got, um, enough extra body fat and, you know, body fat storage, either at a healthy level, or maybe you have more than you need or more than you want. Um, that's a really good population for doing any kind of fasting when people are very lean and they do fasting, it can trigger more of a stress response in their body because they don't have as much on reserve for energy. So their bodies can be a little bit more stressed out from fasting and they might not get as many benefits from it as somebody who is at a healthy weight or who is overweight or um, trying to lose weight. So that's one. Another population that comes to mind are pregnant women or women who are trying to get pregnant. I think the focus of pregnancy or preparing for pregnancy should always be optimal nourishment, right? Getting the most nourishing foods and getting enough foods, that's first and foremost. I do not think that time-restricted eating is harmful for women who are pregnant or nursing or trying to get pregnant. However, it's we have to make sure that they're getting, that they're well-nourished, right? Within the time that they are eating, as long as they're getting enough food, enough nutrients that their body needs, they're probably going to be okay. Um, I just wouldn't try to be overly strict. I definitely wouldn't recommend trying a 16-8. I think a lot of pregnant women deal with nausea, food aversions, right? They don't, um, morning sickness and things like that, where eating or snacking actually really helps. So in that case, like if that's what you need to do to be the most well-nourished and feel your best, then that's what you should do. So in that situation, I think it's a little bit more case by case. I don't think that, you know, if you're eating, if you're fasting 12 hours in a day while pregnant, that is very normal. And that's probably what most humans have done forever um, anyway. So, but the focus is not to restrict or restrain. The focus should be to get enough nourishment. And then children are another unique population. I think that children do really well with time-restricted eating. I think they naturally, you know, um, do it anyway. Um, but when in periods of growth, like childhood or pregnancy, it's the same idea. Nourishment, getting enough to eat should be the focus. So there's no reason to put a child, I think, on any kind of time restriction. But I think it's really important that children eat a good, healthy breakfast and that they get enough to eat throughout the day so that they're not hungry and snacking late at night and ravaging the cupboards for all the junk food they can find (laughs) Um, at 10 o'clock at night, right? Because that's not going to be ideal for their health either. But I just don't, I don't think that it's great to put restraints on, on children. I think if we just feed them well, then they'll naturally kind of fall into a time-restricted eating cycle of their own that works for their body. Um, And then of course, for people who have a history of restrictive eating or disordered eating, then of course you would want to be really careful if any kind of time restriction just, um, 
worsens that or, or is a trigger for somebody, then I would certainly avoid it. Absolutely. Um, when somebody's following this kind of ideal schedule of time restricted eating, can they do it for the rest of their lives? Are there seasons to it? Are there, I mean, I know there's certain life events kind of like you just spoke to where you might not recommend it or at a certain time in a woman's cycle, maybe not adhering to it, but otherwise can men and women eat this way for the rest of their lives or do they need to restrict it to some extent? Yeah, I think you can definitely do it um, as a daily habit and a, a regular cycle. Um, what's great about intermittent fasting is that people can get a lot of the benefits, a lot of those health benefits that I talked about are the ones that you read about from doing it, um, four or five days out of the week. So that does give people some flexibility if they want to follow a time restricted eating schedule during the week and then have more flexibility on the weekends because maybe they go out to eat or they go uh, out for drinks or something like that. Uh, on the weekends, then it allows you that flexibility and you don't have to be super rigid or regimented about it. So I think it's a lifestyle thing that does have a lot of flexibility to it. And that's part of what makes it so sustainable and attractive to a lot of people. Um, and as far as the seasons go, as I mentioned before, so many of the benefits are really derived from aligning our clocks with the, what, you know, what our environment is telling us. So I think in the summer months, you could probably get away with a much more extended eating window. It's really aligning your eating with when the sun is up and stopping when the sun goes down. And that might change based on your location and the time of year. So I think it's possible to kind of let it ebb and flow with the seasons. And that's probably a really healthy approach to it. I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea of just listening to your body and being yeah. attuned to, to nature. nature. Like, yeah. And if you that. live like in way up North in the Netherlands or Alaska or something like that, and you're like, it's, you know, sunlight 24 hours a day, or it's um, dark <laughs> 24 hours a day, depending on the season, then I think you probably need to um, just find something that, that works for you. And I know that a lot of people that are shift workers um, have a really big challenge with that as well. People who work at night and then sleep during the day. Um, and we know that there are a lot of detrimental health consequences to doing that. And so for them, I would just suggest that they, uh, when they're awake, they're eating, you know, and then during whatever their cycle is, to kind of match it up as much as possible, I guess. So match their eating with when they're awake and they're, when they're the most active, just like you and I would. So for a night shift worker, still eating that first meal within one to two hours of waking up and avoiding mm -hmm. meals within the three hours before bedtime sort of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've given us such good knowledge and you have such a healthy, um, minded, thriving way of of explaining all this. I'm like, yes, I'm in everything you're saying. Yes, I'm in, you know, like, awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you're like, oh, people need to know this. This is really important. Kind of one more advice piece that you really feel. Yeah. Like um, maybe what are some other lifestyle choices yeah. or changes or elements that should go hand in hand with that intermittent fasting or time restricted eating? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think the other thing that I wanted to mention is that I, um, the type of fasting that I teach inside my fasting program, I do teach people how to do the time restricted eating in a way that's healthy, sustainable, and isn't going to have some of those detrimental side effects like hormonal issues that sometimes women experience or fatigue or blood sugar swings. Um, we definitely want to avoid those. But there's another type of fasting that I think is really powerful for people, and I call that a modified fast. Um, and it's something that has very different 
benefits from intermittent fasting, but the two can go together really well. And that's what I teach inside the, the fasting fix program is teaching people how to do that. It's more of a prolonged fast. So it's actually five days long, but during those five days, you get to eat the whole time. And the reason is because we've figured out how to mimic fasting while still being able to eat food. So to get your body thinking it's in a fasted state while you're still eating and we play with calories and we play with macros. So the protein, fat, and carbs ratios are um, very prescriptive and it allows somebody to get into a fast stay in a fasted state for five days and the benefits of that are very real and very different from time restricted eating Um, when you do a prolonged fast like that you um, clear away a lot of immune cells you do a lot of repair stem cells are activated there's a lot of um repair and regeneration that comes with that. So that type of fasting is really um, a lot more effective for fat loss. It's much more effective for inflammation and lowering cholesterol and blood pressure. And um, it's more, much more of a therapeutic fast. And it sounds like it's pretty personalized. It sounds like you work with each individual to figure out their ratios that are right for them. Is that right? Um, So the the carbs, protein, fat, and calories are actually um, based on the research of Dr. Walter Longo. Okay. And it's, it's kind of a preset amount that works pretty well for everybody, but there is a lot of customization within the program. Um, I have people do before and after lab work, they get to see their cholesterol drop 50 points. They get to see their diabetes go away. Um, when we do the, yeah, when we do the, the blood test. So that's a really exciting part of the program. And that's where a lot of the, the customization comes into play. So for people who are listening to this podcast and are interested in um, joining you in your program, are are you taking new people for that program? And if so, then what's the best way for them to contact you and sign up and start working with you? Oh, um, well... Currently, we are in the last month of our the program that I'm currently running. So I think there will be a new one coming in the summertime. And the, probably the best way would just to be um, to follow my Instagram page. And then I would share when a new one comes out. And okay. tell us what your Instagram handle is so people can oh, find you. Uh, the underscore real food nutritionist. So that's my Instagram. We'll, we'll link it too in yep. the description for this podcast so people can find you. But of course, yeah. this is highlighting you and your services and what you do because I've seen you share some of your success stories with your clients on your Instagram. And I think um, there's some really powerful results that you're able to achieve with people. So I always like yeah. to give people an avenue to seek the help that they need from yeah. the experts who can offer it. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the best part of the job right? Is to see those transformations and, um, to have, you know, people say that they feel a lot better, that they're reaching their goals or they don't have to get on statin medication anymore because their cholesterol came down. It's really exciting. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you. You have been so informative and smart and thank you for all the knowledge. It's, I feel blessed to have heard it. So I'm sure everyone will feel that way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was just, I'm thinking like, I'm excited to try out a new shift with it, you know, even in changing what my time restricted eating has looked like and what that window ends up being. I was just, I was kind of reflecting as we were talking and I was thinking, you know, I remember being in, I was just starting third grade and all three, I had three best friends from kindergarten to second grade and, and all three of them when we hit third grade, went to different schools. And so I remember going into third grade and I really didn't have any friends. And I was so nervous every day before school that I I couldn't eat. Like I wasn't hungry because I was nervous. So I was just reflecting while we were talking. I'm like, I think I created this pattern in myself from childhood. You like taught yourself to wait, to wait, to eat until lunch because I was, I couldn't eat. I was so scared for school. I didn't have anybody to sit with and I didn't have friends. and, And there was just this period of time. And I think I created that habit that I've maintained since childhood where we talked at the very beginning where I said, I really just don't get hungry until the afternoon. So I'm really looking forward to resetting that and kind of working with my circadian rhythm and my body and optimizing 
what is, you know, a healthy habit of that time restricted eating, but optimizing it for myself and for my hormones to really benefit my own body in terms of what it was meant to do instead of what I trained it to do out of fear and nerves. I'm looking forward to resetting that pattern and seeing what happens with it. Yeah. Yeah, It's so funny that you mentioned that story because that's actually how I started intermittent fasting myself was as a teenager with all of those gut issues. Um, When I wake up in the morning, I would just try not to eat for as long as possible because as soon as I ate, that's when my stomach would get bloated and start hurting. And I was a really active kid. So it didn't last very long, you know, maybe by 10 or 11, I needed, you know, I'd get a snack from the vending machine, or sometimes I'd wait till lunch and end up eating. But I had the exact same scenario where I ended up um, not feeling hungry in the morning and training myself to just not eat in the morning um, because of those gut issues. And then really had to unlearn that because it had um, created a lot of blood sugar instability for me and a lot of sugar cravings for me. Um, And then the late night eating, I think was just making my gut issues worse, but I, I kind of got into it by accident, you know, before it was even a thing myself and then had to retrain myself how, how to do it better. And I can promise you, I feel a lot better this way. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's just so much better that way overall. Oh, and then if you are going to retrain, that was the the thing I wanted to share was to just the easiest way to do it is to just set an early eating curfew. So, you know, right now you go till eight o'clock at night. If you just stopped eating at like five or six, the next morning you will probably wake up hungry. And if not, then do it for two or three days. But by then everybody you've, you've fixed it like that. That's awesome. Good. That's good to hear too. Yeah. Cause I was curious what that process was going to look like, but (laughs) undoing like, oh my gosh, like 20 years, 20 20 years years of (laughs) training my body, you know, in this sort of feeding rhythm. Yeah. Well, and if it's working for you and you're feeling great, then, you know, who am I to say to do something different, but I think it's always worth people giving it a try. um, I'm I'm an experience. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I'm always going to give it a try. And if it doesn't work, you can shift it. That's where I think that kind of, um, that's what I love about functional medicine and nutrition. And what we do is that it can be really bio-individual based on the person and their metabolism and their needs. Um, but, but I'm for sure I'm an experimenter. So I always like trying new things and seeing how it resonates. Yeah, Yeah. I do. I'm like, I can already see Kay and I kind of experimenting with this together. (laughs) Yeah. Kay, do you do any kind of intermittent fasting? You know what, to tell you the truth, I've always heard of that and it seems really cool. So I've tried, but I honestly, I wake up starving. And so I wake up and I I do eat within the hour or I feel kind of weak. So I kind of do. And I typically, so I'll eat by seven or eight and then I won't eat past supper at 6.30. So I'm, I'm pretty close. I'm within a half hour of that range just naturally. So, 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 but you've made me feel better that I, can eat. I was thinking like, okay, you can't eat until noon to four, you know, like this really restricted. So for you to say this, I'm like, okay, I'm okay. Like I have a good rhythm, like tighten it up maybe a half hour, but I'm good, you know? So. Yeah. And no wonder you feel better eating in the morning, right? Yeah, <laughs> Cause you're supposed to. Yep. I know. Yep. I went out when intermittent fasting kind of became cool, right. For a while. And remember that meme that they're like, Millennials are making skipping breakfast cool by calling it intermittent fasting, you know, they're just lazy. I don't know, but, uh, but I remember thinking, oh, I should do this, but then I'm like, no, I'm starving. So anyway, but yeah, that's because you've probably got a really good, healthy rhythm going. I was going to say, you've just been doing it right all along. So there you go. But I've, I, I have had to make the shift where I grew up on cereal in the morning. So I'd say a couple of years ago with Elaine's help. I started doing the proteins and the fats at breakfast and that's really satiated me longer. So that's how I tweaked it was what I was eating and out with the cereal. So, yep. (laughs) Um, I was one last question I was going to ask you is, is the feeding or eating window, do you generally recommend the same window for men and women, or is it a little bit different? Um, I guess I've never 
distinguish between men and women. I think what I just recommend is that your fast is somewhere between 13 to 16 hours long, or, you know, or just more than 12, right? A little bit more than 12 to 16. I don't usually recommend that people go beyond that because it makes it much harder to actually get enough nutrients in the day. Um, at that point, you're kind of down to two meals instead of three. And, and then you just, when you do that, you have a lot less wiggle room as far as the quality of the food that you're eating, because you have less food to get all of the nutrients in that you need for the day. So I don't recommend that people take it further than that, um, at least not for most people. And then, you know, really finding your individual what works for you and knowing that you can get a lot of benefit from a 13 hour fast. It doesn't have to go all the way to 16. Yeah. Wow. Well, this, I can't wait to share this with our listeners. I think this has been so informative, even, yeah. you know, for me, I feel like you probably feel this way too. I feel like we're constantly learning. Like we went to school and we spent this concentrated period of time learning. And I feel like that's never ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> this was so valuable for me. Really, it gave me a lot of helpful information that um, is, is beneficial for my health. And then for the, the clients that I work with on coaching, it's going to benefit them too. So thank you. Yes, I'm so glad. Yeah. And I think our listeners, I, I just was, I always kind of have my ear out for sound bites. You know, what's a good clip that I can take and put on social media to pique somebody's interest and bring them um, you know, like a helpful piece of information and also make them want more. And I just feel like I could, I could break this whole thing down into well, like <laughs> one and two minute chunks. Like, and I could just put the whole thing on there. Cause it was just so much valuable information. So thank you so much, Dina, for your time. Thank and you. it was so fun to be here and to meet you Kay and reconnect with you, Eleni. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, we'll have to connect again sooner than this. <laughs> so. yes, please. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dina. Good luck with everything. And yeah, we look forward to releasing this. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Have a good day. All right. Bye. Bye, ladies. Thank you for listening to our episode on the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Follow us on all social media platforms and visit our website, www.therenegadenutritionist.com. Please keep in mind that the content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before you make a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! renegades.